Hello and welcome to this special edition of the Mohawk Games podcast. I am Leila Johnson, CEO and Creative Director at Mohawk Games. And today my guests are Christopher Ten, composer of our Old World soundtrack, and uh, Soren Johnson, the lead designer of the game Old World. Uh, Christopher and Soren were roommates at Oxford, and later on they worked together on a game called Civilization IV, which uh, Christopher was a composer uh, for the music in it, uh, Baba Yetu, and Baba Yetu won a Grammy Award. Not just that, that created history for the games industry because it was the first game ever to win a Grammy Award. Uh, Christopher Tin also won a second Grammy Award for his album, Calling All Dawns. We continued working with Christopher once we founded Mohawk Games, and uh, he created a whole soundtrack for us uh, on Offworld Trading Company. And when we were uh, creating the game Old World, of course, uh, we thought of no one else but him uh, to create that feel. Today, we're going to talk about what happened from the beginning to end. We're going to highlight a few tracks and discuss them. So stay tuned. You are in for a very, very good ride, I promise. Hello, Christopher, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Great to talk with you both again. Thank you. And of course, with us here today, uh, our lead designer, Soren Johnson, we're going to talk a little bit about the making of the soundtrack Old World by Christopher Tin for the game Old World. (laughs) Hey, Chris, how's it going? (laughs) It's great. So, Chris, uh, I mean, you and I worked very, very closely on the soundtrack. How about we kind of let Soren know on how the... This time, this time around, you and I were a little bit more involved in the making of the soundtrack and let you lead with how it all came about and when did you feel like you started uh, working on the soundtrack for Old World? Because I know you were involved in a different project before us. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we started talking about this around the beginning of 2021, I believe, uh, just mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year. And you sort of laid out for me what it was that you all needed. And you actually presented me with a lot of the music that you had already selected for the game as licensed music. And that was a really good starting point, I think, for a creative discussion about what the original music was going to be. Um, and, and I, yeah. I remember you were, you were taken till April. I assume. Am I correct about that? You had a project till April 2021? I did. I did. Um, and uh, I think up until April, we were mostly just, you know, discussing ideas. And I was actually just doing my due diligence about Arabic music in general, um, just making sure I was approaching it in the most respectful manner possible, but also educating myself about Arabic music theory, Arabic music forms, you know, some of the prominent instrumentalists and singers out there. There was a period of research, I'd like to say, up until um, you know the, the notes were actually being written. Yeah, I, rem- I remember, and uh, I think it was maybe around January or something like this, we gave you a call um, to check with you first, how are you doing? And kind of telling you like, hey, you know, we are ready to work on this a little bit more closely. We're wrapping up towards the release for Epic. 
Um, and uh, I remember, I remember I told you, I put my foot down, like, you know, with Soren about working, uh, you know, with music, uh, from European and Western composers about the Middle East. And I want to make sure that I drag the sounds of the Middle East to the, to the uh, soundtrack. And of course we thought of you because you create such beautiful world music. And I couldn't think sadly of anyone from Lebanon at that point who who has achieved what you've achieved. And um, or I can think that can know us enough within a short period of time, the way you know us, that we can work with and create the vision we had for Old World. Well, I think this is, you know, that cuts to the, the, the heart of one of the earliest sort of uh, sort of concerns that I had about me being involved in the game in that it very much sounded like early on that the right composer for this game was someone from Lebanon or, you know, from the Middle East in general. And I felt a little bit of an imposter syndrome coming into this. Like, why am I doing this? Why are you hiring me? Um, and I think there was a lot of hand wringing early on. And yeah, I remember, you know, you talked me through a lot of this and said, you know, Chris, like, we believe in you. We trust in you. We, we're hiring you because of what you do and not necessarily because we want you to mimic you know arabic music per se but you we want you to do something that that you know combines the arabic sounds that we've incorporated also with the the classical uh you know sounds that you've licensed you know by composers like philip glass for example mm -hmm. yeah and i think that that was a really helpful turning point for me early on i think there's this one i can't remember if it's an email conversation or a phone conversation where you said chris just do your thing. Stop that, freaking that's out. That's a phone conversation. I think that was like a two-hour phone conversation. Yeah, I, there was a whole lot of freaking out on my part. And then, you know, like I, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, you know, open with you you both about some of that. But a lot of it just came from like, God, I just don't want to do, do this wrong. And I just don't want to like, you know, Arabic musicians should be presenting their music, right? I'm, you know, I just don't feel good about this unless we find a way to turn it into a kind of a collaborative project in a way, mm -hmm. right? And so I think early on too, I said to you, you know, I just, I, I've been doing my research and I'd actually been taking some, some basic lessons with some Arabic composers about Arabic music theory. And then I just said, you know, what if I sort of approach this like a, a collaborative sort of situation with some of these musicians? And mm -hmm. I think that that really helped because, you know, I, I, I just want to make sure that the people who really are authentically practicing this music should be the voices, literally the voices of this music on this soundtrack, right? Mm -hmm. So that that you know those early those early months were just a lot of like figuring out what the sound world was going to be, and and you know just getting over the insecurity of, of 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 tackling this. I can, if I can interject, I can. <clears throat> I can relate to this a little bit because my, my original concept for the soundtrack way back when was I wanted music that was written in the 20th century, I guess 20, 21st century. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, can but, you believe it? But that people would, wouldn't necessarily think was, was modern, but this somehow like split the, the, the difference between very old music and, and modern music. Um, and so my first step through that was actually just to license um, a lot of you know, Western music that, that I was familiar with, with, with you know, relatively contemporary composers, um, like 
Oh, man. Henrik Goretzky. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. <laughs> Phil Glass uh, and uh, a number of others. Arbo um, Parrot, I think. Uh, yeah, we tried to get him. We oh, really? tried. Yeah. We were going to fly to uh, Estonia. Estonia. We were going to yeah. fly to Estonia and we talked to his son, Michael, and then COVID happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But Layla really encouraged me to look outside of the West um, and into a lot of you know places that I really didn't know anything about um, for, for other music. And so, um, you know, we have a little bit of Western music, but then we probably have like, you know, five or six hours. The bulk of most of the rest of the soundtrack is pulled from pieces from, you know, Armenia, from Lebanon, Bulgaria, from Turkey, Russia, Bulgaria, Sudan, um, the, uh, the great, the great uh, Georgian monk mm-hmm. uh, singing in yeah. Aramaic. Um, and it was a you know a journey of discovery for me, um, but we found some really great stuff, and like it was it was it was great great. To, it was really important to start looking looking elsewhere. So, you know, I also felt like I wasn't qualified to you know kind of judge <laughs> this type of music as well. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all listeners, right? And so you ultimately you 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 do with your ears. And you know, Layla showed me show me where to look, and we worked. She and I worked to get together to find some of the great music. The, the we'll we'll talk about the Georgian monk. Hopefully, we can maybe get him on the yeah, podcast. Probably. But she she discovered this. <laughs> guy and his music is just amazing you know who i'm talking about right i yeah. think you shared that yeah you did yeah. um yeah that was fantastic for, for for anyone who's listening who doesn't know uh my background i'm from lebanon i grew up with the music um i was in the choir since the age of three and i studied music over there and i came here as an adult to the united states so when we wanted to work on Old World, um, and back to, to the story, uh, Chris, on how you were nervous and you feel like an imposter, again, I say sadly, I couldn't think of anyone from my part of the world that I wanted to work with specifically. It's just because I didn't want just something that is just purely like Lebanese. I wanted to work with someone who first knows us, uh, knows our vision we worked with before, um, because this became very, very personal and quickly uh, with with Old World, where we started building um, probably all the licensed music, probably more than half of it uh, being authentic and from the part of the world that is more, uh, that has more like cultural ethnic music um, instead of like Western European music or classical Western European music that sounds old. So mm. almost all the references we sent you uh, around January 2021 were from the licensed music around that time, the later. We started building the soundtrack four years ago. Yeah. yeah. It was a big playlist too. And I remember it, it actually covered, I, from what I recall, a lot of the groups that I've actually worked with in the past were actually on there as well, like uh, Le Mystère de Bois Bulgar, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there were a lot of familiar sounds to me. Um, and in a way, I mean, it it was helpful to hear all that too, because, um, you know, like like with Soren, there was this transition moment where it's like, oh, okay, I don't have to think about, um, you know, just purely purely Arabic sounds, but I can sort of think, you know, more creatively of, of a synthesis, synthesis between um, sort of these ancient sort of medieval sort of classical sound worlds from from you know a lot of the contemporary very minimalistic spiritualist eastern european composers out there you know combining that with with a lot of the licensed music that you you shared with me and by the way just listening to all that licensed music i mean it really did get the the sound of arabic music into my ears and speaking as a westerner uh that's a big step for a lot of listeners to to 
get used to unfamiliar scales, you know, macombs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and also more than that, just unfamiliar musical structures. You know, we're not talking sonata form or song form or, or any of the, the sort of standard packaging of musical ideas that you get in Western music. This is a whole different world of, of, of musical structures, right? And yeah, that's... Yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear the two of you talk about the, the actually Arabic suite, which is something that like I probably knew the least, the least about, yeah. but is like, I think a beautiful piece on the soundtrack. And yeah. I, you know, I remember I saw Layla working on this a lot and, you know, walking Well, I mean, I researched it within my own, like I'm not a musician, right? Mm -hmm. So I researched it enough to get Chris going. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> you know, Chris from there, you know, I think he made his, he has a network of people he knows. And he researched it and dug into it. And he, you know, he's in the business. This is his, you know, he's a professional. So he knows where to look if he wants to dig deeper. Yeah. But I think I got you going a little bit on, you know, like what's, what's the pace, the pleading. I think this is what I remember mm. the most, like me telling you we want something that's kind of pleading. Yes. Um, and I, I think you found some wonderful people to work with. After that, the suite was more like, Chris would send me something to listen to. And I'd say, for example, um, I remember in one case, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the one for Babylonia, Chris, where mm -hmm. the, where the, the, or was it for Tarab, where the vocalist is saying, Aman, Aman, mm. Aman. Yeah, Which that was the Moel. That's the Moel. Yeah, yeah, the second movement of the suite. Yeah. And it was beautiful, however, for the period we're covering for Old World, which is the classical antiquity, the Ottomans haven't yet conquered that region. And the word Amman mixed with that type of sound happened around the Ottoman Empire. So that's much <laughs> later in time. And I'm like, oh, Chris, we can't use Amman for the Mawel. We have to um, we have to replace this with replace this with Yalelian. And you know, I sent them a few. Reports. How many times have I told you that, Layla? You can't use Amman because of <laughs> yes, the Yes, so Ottomans. many times. Oh sorry. my God, I, I keep forgetting. Layla, I told never you use Amman. A million times. <laughs> But, but back to your insecurity, and I love this about you. I love this about musicians because it shows, you know, humility. Um, back to that insecurity, what I cared about, and I think that was like one time we were discussing COVID and children among so many other things. And I was telling you like, like, please don't feel like this. And I think you were telling me something along the lines of, Leila, how about I, I subcontract this work to someone from the Middle East? And I'm like, no. <laughs> do you remember that well i think i think um you know i don't i don't know that i was gonna subcontract it but i mean i definitely wanted some i wanted somebody to take the creative lead on writing these arabic melodies that's the thing i just did not feel comfortable um and after a while you know through conversations like this i did feel more comfortable doing things and i actually had somebody that i could run things by and that was very helpful too um you know as as the familiarity grew and as my own sort of creative team and my, you know, my instructors and, and my, you know, building the back end of things like, you know, got beefed up, I felt more, more and more comfortable doing this. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting over those initial humps, you know, mm -hmm. um, I will say creatively, this was not a familiar world for me to jump into. And it was very hard for me to get to that level where I felt comfortable doing it. And sometimes it all it really took was a little bit of extra encouragement from from you, Layla, actually, you know, just to say things like, um, we trust you, you know, we, we like this, this sounds good, go with it. You know, sometimes that's just what you need. Um, 
And by the way, for all you listeners out there, I'm not always an insecure mess when it comes to <laughs> We just threw at him a whole world that, you know, <laughs> you know, he's just so new to it. And we told him, create a Grammy award winning you know, soundtrack. <laughs> but you know, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Why, why I was very, very concerned about all of this sort of thing. Like there is a, a real tendency in the scoring world, whether we're talking about films or video games or whatever it is, just to grab random sounds from around the world and throw them into your score and then just be like, mm -hmm. oh, well, here's a deduct. So that's obviously a Middle Eastern score now, right? Or whatever. Right. There's, a, there is, there's a tendency not to do anything more than the, the, the bare bones due diligence of a lot of things. Um, and I, I, I just wanted to make sure that we weren't doing that because the world where we're in now is a world where we take things like cultural appropriation much more seriously, yes, you know, thankfully, right? Mm -hmm. um, and we're very much more sort of like uh, appreciative and open to other cultures. And we want to make sure we do things right by them and not just do the cheapest mimicry of another culture's musical traditions. And so, you know, a lot of us, even those of us who have been collaborating with world musicians for the last 15 years, you know, to, to sort of wanted to reevaluate the ways that we we go about things and just to make sure that the way we do things now is the right way moving forward uh, for these sorts of cross-cultural collaborations. Chris, um, let's talk a little bit in depth. We're going to go through the whole soundtrack and talk a little bit about, you know, how that came about. Let's talk about the, uh, the Arabic suite. Like... Mm. We told you where we want to go. We gave you references. Where did you go next? I think at that next point is I talked to um, my friend who's an um, Egyptian-Australian uh, composer. His name is Mina Shamali. And actually, he, he pre performs the Mawel and the uh, first part of the Torah in the Arabic suite. And um, you know, I reached out to him and I said, OK, talk me through this suite. And um, you know, we we took your notes, we sort of, um, you know, uh, kind of, uh, sort of, uh, kind of understood what it was that you were doing, um, or wanted us to do. Um, and, uh, you know, he sort of talked me through some of the basic forms, um, you know, what, what the basic melodic contour of a Moel was, for example, um, you know, how, how it was performed, you know, what the idea behind um, a tarub was, you know, what the meaning of a tarub was, because a lot of these things I just had to Google. And mm -hmm. obviously Googling a lot of these terms really does not. No, doesn't help. take you anywhere. It doesn't yeah. really take you. So it was very frustrating. Yeah, it disorients on. you, if anything. It, it, sorry, what? It disorients you, yeah. if anything. Yeah, it totally does. Because I mean, the, the you know, I, I found all these articles, um, you know, there's a, there's a great musicologist at UCLA, for example, um, who wrote about the tarub and this idea of ecstasy. And, and I read it and I was like, well, okay, I, I sort of understand a little more, but it doesn't give me the nuts and bolts of how one you know, composes something like a Torah, right? And it only came about more through talking to people, um, actual performers. Uh, and I mean, I gotta say to this day, I'm still a little fuzzy. I gotta say, I mean, it's still... <laughs> It's, it's, it only took me like 30 years to understand Qarab <laughs> myself being one of the people who lived around it for such a long time. Yeah, it's kind of a, I mean, it's a, you know, but the, the thing that I found is that, you know, like uh, so much of, of these 
the way that you think about it in, in, in Western music is there's a musical form, right? You, 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 know, you create idea A and then you create idea B and then you go back to idea A and you go to idea C. It's like there's, there's set portions that people you know, construct their music out of, right? Little, little you know, chapters in your, your piece, whether it's you know, a verse or a chorus or you know, whatever you want to call it, the exposition, the development, the recapitulation. You know, these are very, this is a very sort of Western way of looking at uh, writing music. The fundamental way that a lot of these musical forms are presented in Arabic music is actually more improvised, and it's actually one that feeds off of a live performance where you get energy back from the uh, audience, right? And you mm-hmm. you sort of whip them into the state of like ecstatic frenzy through your performance, and they applaud, and and you know there's a very interactive element to it. But if you take that idea, that authentic Arabic idea of a performance being the composition. Where does that leave room for an outside composer like myself, if the performer mm-hmm. is in fact the composer, right? So a lot of the way that I had to figure out how to do this was to find a way to be the composer while still letting the performer also be the composer. And mm-hmm. that's how much of the Arabic suite was constructed, through collaboration with performer composers. Well, let's take a listen to the Tara piece and then we'll come back and discuss the rest of the Arabic suite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah
So the performer is Mina Shamali, and we send we send Mina our love. We haven't met yet, and thanked him personally for uh, working on on Old World. But I hope that one day we can all uh, meet, and all the people who uh, contributed to the wonderful soundtrack that we have today, uh, we can meet and either have a drink together, or a concert, or dinner, or really anything. Mm. <laughs> COVID makes us want to meet all the time. Yeah. yeah. So um, with, with the Mawal, how flexible you felt that Mina uh, was, I mean, how, how easy was it for, for Mina to adjust to the new Yaleliain with, uh, instead of Amman? Because I know people from over there can actually do it pretty easily. And I want to know whether, you know, it was, you know, also equally easy for, for Mina. It was. I mean, I, well, I mean, he, he certainly didn't... Uh... It certainly seemed easy. I mean, he certainly did. If there were any challenges, he certainly didn't, um, uh, you know, display them or anything. I think he did a great job. I mean, and I, he totally, I think so too. you know, he totally yeah. got it. I'm like, okay, so you know how we spent hours sort of figuring out what to do, and then you did this. Well, turns out we were wrong, and Amon is not a word that you was historically appropriate. And um, you know, you mentioned this, but let, uh, Mina actually, he has a radio show in Australia about video game music. And he recently uh-huh. spoke uh, at uh, GGPAC or GCAP, the mm-hmm. uh, game developer conference out in Australia about um, old world and cultural mm-hmm. authenticity and how basically we did it the right way <laughs> on old yeah. world, right? Um, and one of the things he talked about was how he learned something in doing this, that Amman was a Turkish word that really was not prominent, you know, to when this historical time period was, you know, like through collaboration, everyone learns, even the experts, right? And mm-hmm. that's what one of the wonderful parts of this whole process was. Yeah, I would, we'd love to have the link because we're going to add all the links to, to, you know, for our listeners to kind of have access to. So if you have a link for Mina talking about this, we'd love to also link it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Yeah. For sure. So uh, where was, uh, you know, otherwise uh, Mina's hand uh, in the Arabic suite? Uh, he performed on two movements, movement two and three. The Mawel, he, he sings, the Yaleli. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same with the Tarab. He plays Oud on the Tarab. Oh, really? Yes, he's a very talented guy. So he's the oudest. Mm-hmm. He's the mm. oudest, yes. yes. Now, the way we worked, actually, and this was actually Mina's suggestion, um, he said let me perform some things and then 
I'm going to hand them to you and then you chop them up and arrange around them. Right. So he, he did various takes of his vocal recording and, and, and oud playing. Um, and he handed a, a folder of stuff over to me, which I then sifted through and found what I particularly liked. And then I structured it in a way that was, um, that still reflected the, the overall arc of what a Moel was, for example, mm-hmm. um, but still allowed me to add some of the accompaniment and some of the flourishes that are sort of hallmarks of, of what I do. Um, and the, 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 uh, the, the Tarub movement one, the, uh, the Oud piece that he plays, is a good example of that, actually, because mm-hmm. what he sent me, the raw Oud tracks don't actually have any harmonic context to them. He's just laying down riffs. He's just playing some fills and things like that. I chopped them up and I arranged them. And then because of the way I was able to chop them up, I was able to introduce a lot of um, modulations and, and, you know, like harmonic movement that wasn't already implicit in the performance that he laid down. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, for example, I think is a very good example of how one can take something that is has an origin in, in traditional performance, but then find a way to reinterpret it in a way that is perhaps easier to, to grasp for Western audiences um, and features some of the hallmarks of, of Western music theory.
when I sent you the old pieces references for for that specific purpose before Mina, the references were for Sharbel Ruhana, and he's a famous oldest and famous composer, a performer in Lebanon. And this is the the sad part is that you know of them, you just do not know how to reach them. Hmm. And you'll be surprised to know how I was able to reach Sharbel in the end and license three tracks of his. And that was just a few months ago. It was through Abir Nami, whom mm. we'll talk about later. She knew him, worked with him. I asked her for his phone number. I talked to him. He connected me with the agent that I can talk to so I can license his music. Otherwise, I, Lebanese, he, Lebanese, I, we couldn't you know, talk to each other to not, get that done. Not just that, but I should say Layla's last name is Ruhana. Yes, my <laughs> last yeah, name yeah. is Ruhana. From, from in Lebanon, that matters because we are probably from the same region. Because uh, census-wise, all of the Ruhanas are registered in one region. So we are more likely to know each other. But what do you know? I couldn't reach him until Abir connected me with his phone number. Um, and I'm like, hey, Sharbil, we're interested in these tracks. Can we license them for Old World? Because that's what I shared with you originally, that mm-hmm. you probably shared with Mina, the old pieces that we are inspired to to have for mm-hmm. Old World. That's, I mean, that's really, uh, I mean, that's, I think that's one of the the, the, the great payoffs of, of um, looping Abir into this project and bringing her on board. And we can talk about that more later Oh, we're going to talk a lot about that. We're going to talk about a lot about that. <laughs> what um, a gem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? That was that was a lot of fun, I yeah. got to say. And she's wonderful. Yeah. But I think, you know, like the way I like to approach scores like this, which are world music sort of collaborations, is through a, a lot of collaborations and partnerships, right? It's the right thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. It's for us aesthetic and, and cultural reasons. And when you tap into someone like Abir, I mean... She knows everyone over there, yeah. right? And she can make things happen. Um, yes. And that was, it was really, really great. Did you know she like out. traveled to like 40, 50 countries, created ethnic music in these countries on a documentary that's yet to come out? Ethnophilia, yeah. That's yeah, her ethnophilia. Docu- yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, she was telling me about, we were talking about like, you know, when she went to um, India and places like that and sharing travel stories. I mean, it, you know, she like, can sing in 57 languages. Yeah, it's nuts, right? <laughs> the best part is so we, we both speak Aramaic because we grew up in Lebanon and we're walking one day in Old Town here where we live with Soren. And Soren, you know, we're like, we're like talking about like that piece we found for the Georgian monk that's Aramaic. And she goes, Did you notice that he, his pronunciation has a little bit of Russian in it? And Soren is like looking at us like, is there yeah. are these two weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> that was impressive. It sounded like perfectly good Aramaic to me. Her, her Aramaic, his Aramaic, isn't is, is a little bit Russian. It's like, yeah, there is a Russian accent in his Aramaic. Yeah. Oh, I totally noticed that. Of course, God. Yeah, of course. Well, she's the she's the Aramaic and a Syriac uh, ambassador to the United Nations, also. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. I do know that. We'll talk about her more later. Yeah. Before before we get to the, you know, my favorite track uh, on on the on the soundtrack, uh, we'd like to go to uh, to the uh, to the piece of Faltahya Bikum Kullu Ardin Tanziluna Biha, that piece uh-huh. of poetry. Ah. Uh-huh. Oh. That was one of the latest ones, y'all. That, was... like, that came so much later, like did, literally yeah. day before <laughs> releasing the soundtrack. Yeah, it was really, really... I, it, so I had the performer lined up for a while. Um, she's a, a fellow composer, actually based in Dubai. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she's Syrian, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is someone I, I met this year as well. And, you know, we discussed how to work together. Um, and we came up, came up, came, sort of came up with the same sort of formula that um, I, I, I collaborated with Nina, um, which was basically, here's the text. Can you perform something in a traditional manner? And then I'll take it and then I'll sort of like, you know, work with it, chop it up, recontextualize it, put an arrangement. Well, I think before that you sent me, I said, I'd like to hear her voice because I wanted to find a text that I can hear her perform it. And I think you sent me something. Yeah. Because I remember, Chris, that I was on vacation. I took the kids to Seattle. We went to Guemis Island. And you're like, okay, well, this is the last thing that I cannot think of how we're going to approach. And I'm like, well, let's let's hear her voice. And you sent me something. And you're like, we need text for this. And I'm like, I, I think I have a great piece of poetry for this. Yes. So do you remember I wrote it down on a piece of paper and then I sent it to you on WhatsApp and I, you know, I wrote it like the, the way we wrote the other tracks, like this is how you pronounce it in English. And yes. then she sang it and then I was like, okay, there are some uh some mistakes with uh like diacritics. Yeah, in Arabic, right, yeah. that's like the small vowels. Diacritics are we have very long vowels and we have shorter vowels and we have the shortest vowels, and they are diacritics. And I think these are the movements of the sounds in Arabic. And uh, and there were a few mistakes over there. And I went back and I was writing them in the car. Do you remember, mm-hmm. Soren? Yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, you were doing all, this, all the details. And Guemis Island doesn't have cellular reception. So we were crossing the ferry and I was hoping the last voice messages went through. <laughs> they did. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know about all that drama. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. no, I, th- I think I told you were on vacation, right? No, I knew that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that you didn't have... Well, I, you did mention you were in a car. So I was like, oh, okay, okay. all right, yeah. All right. Um, but no, I got all the messages. I mean, and, um, you know, okay, one of the hard things for me as a totally non-Arabic speaker is he- getting recordings and, and perhaps getting the Arabic, you know, written out, um, but not being able to sort of match them visually with what you hear. You know what I mean? Like if I, I work with a lot of different languages and most of them use basically, you know, a, a basic Latin character base, right? And you can sort of figure out what words correspond to what sounds in most cases. Completely not the case with Arabic music. It's, you know, you're just sort of adrift and you just need to hope and pray that what you sent along is is the right thing because you know you just don't know you can't sort of reconstruct it on your own can i share with our listeners the first time you sent me i lift my eyes with your voice oh oh my god <laughs> oh my god okay that. Well, you that for me you're, you're it's it's gonna offend so many eardrums <laughs> We'll have you're to discuss this afterwards if yeah, you're comfortable we'll with it, sir. Afterwards. Well, definitely. Although I, was, I thought it was pretty good. I actually, thought it honestly, was amazing. Genuinely. Like, no, you can do uh, it. You can totally do it. I'm happy for okay. it. Thank right. you. People would yeah, appreciate because, it. Because it's very important to relay, like, um, well, first, I want to congratulate you because, of course, you have amazing ears. 
by the way, I taught Arabic at the State Department, among other things, to diplomats. So I, it's not coming from like just, just an opinion. It's something I did for a living. Christopher listened to my enunciation of the words we're going to lose for, I, for I, I lift my eyes and the breakdown and the long voweling and the short voweling. And I didn't go too much into details. I was just worried about getting something started first. And I was absolutely surprised and very impressed to hear him singing it for the first time <laughs> at the level of, you know, like, I didn't even work with you. You know, you, you just you just went ahead and, and you, you sung the song yourself. And I was very impressed. I still am. <laughs> I still am, Chris. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Uh, maybe I'll have more courage to do that more in the, in the future. Um, maybe well, we'll charge people to download uh, it. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exclusive content. Exclusive content. Bonus track. Bonus deal. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. But I mean, to that that point, you know, I, I like when you're working with a language that you don't speak. Yeah, you can maybe get sort of the basics of the uh, the phonetics down by listening to somebody else, you know, pronounce it. Mm -hmm. But also in writing the piece, I there there was a disconnect between knowing the sounds my mouth was making and what the words meant, and that is where I really needed. For example, for you, first of all, we had a, a call where I said, okay, this is kind of how I want to pace the words. Does this sound right to you? And then you gave mm -hmm. me some feedback. Yeah. And then later on, when Abir came in to my studio, um, there was a lot of, lot more of that, right? You know, well, okay, mm -hmm. I kind of get what you're doing here, Chris, but, you know, can I make it better by doing it this way? Yeah, and she kind of course, made it her own yeah. voice, you know, like her own, yeah, it's kind of yeah. matching to her yeah. own strength. And then it sounds, a, it, it in theory, sounds a lot more natural to Arabic speakers, like listeners, mm -hmm. right? It, it doesn't sound like somebody who doesn't speak Arabic trying to randomly assign Arabic syllables to random notes. So, Not to go off of a huge tangent, but this is, you know, this is, a, I think, a good question for me to ask. And, you know, I hope, uh, did you face the similar um, problem when you were creating Baba Yetu? Like you were working with Swahili. It's a lot easier. 
Um, mm-hmm. Swahili, I'll give you a reason why. Because with working with Swahili, first of all, I've sung a lot of African music myself, being the former director of Talisman and Acapella, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, on top of that, you can use Google Translate or you can use a number of different resources that will tell you word by word you know, what this word is and how, you know, which syllable gets the stress, right? So if I just punch in Baba Yetu into Google Translate, it tells me it's our father. Um, and if I want to know which of those words means father, I just type in, you know, Baba, Baba. and it says, oh, mm-hmm. that's father, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, you know, there are ways that I, I can work with a lot of, lot of languages that um, are based on a Latin character script. But I mean, with Arabic, it's so foreign in a way. I didn't even know how to put it in the sheet music because Arabic is read right to left, right? Mm-hmm. And we don't read sheet music right to left. We read it left to right. Oh, so. yeah. I remember <laughs> that problem. When you told me, Lena, can you put the, you know, like the sounds under the notes? I was like, but Chris, we write it from right to left. Yeah. So I have to mirror the notes for you. I, so it's like, I, to this day, the sheet music does not exist for this song because of that fact. I just don't know how to put Arabic script into you know, into Western sheet music that gets left, is, read, left, right. Is there a solution for that? Maybe? I don't know. Yeah, you can just mirror it. You mirror so it and print it. You put the music, the music does go the other direction? Right. Well, no, yeah. that won't work for, but that but wouldn't work But you're going to have to yeah. read the music from right to left because then the breaking of the sounds, you're reading the, the words the other way around because, you know, like in English, you know, right. like when you say our father, different notes, mm-hmm. then you're writing no i get that what i mean is you said mirroring do you mean you mirror the words or you mirror the music? you mirror the, the, notes, the notes and then you write in arabic underneath for the arabic singers right oh. so there is sometimes sheet music that to us would look mm-hmm. backwards well i mean the musicians can continue playing yeah, from yeah. left to right it's sure. for the singers that okay. you mirror right okay. because they're singing in arabic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh. that cool that also leads to more questions than, you know, like, <laughs> so like, what does the conductor score look like? I don't know, you know, like, so. Well, I mean, that's why you are phenomenal in your own mm. way, right? You know, mm. like, it becomes such a part of you that you know where it goes, what goes where, right? I suppose, I suppose. I mean, you find ways to work around all of this. And at the end of the day, the important thing is, is you know, the recording itself, right? The, the performance and the music. So if the notation, you know, isn't... Um, what we're used to seeing, I mean, if it finds a way to get the point across, then that's all that matters. Notation isn't music. Music is music. So once we got that done and the corrections, you know, um, and what is the name of our Syrian vocalist? Oh, uh, Leo Watfe. Um, Leal Watfe? Yeah, exactly. She's based in ah. Dubai, a uh, composer as well. That's the other nice thing about working with fellow composers who are also performers. I mean, there's also obviously that tradition in Middle Eastern music, but um, they also understand um, the ins and outs of how one puts together recordings for game soundtracks. And that makes it a lot easier. Well, let's take a listen to, to Leal and we'll be right back. <laughs> Tanziluna biha Ka'annakum fi biqa'il ardi amtaru Ka'annakum fi biqa'il ardi amtaru 
She does a great mm-hmm. job, man. I'll, I'll leave that in. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very like this is the thing with. Okay, I'm gonna come back on the record here. All right, so that was Layal Watfi. And uh, with, I'd like to say something here, Chris. I don't know if you probably know, know this by now, uh, being exposed to the music and to people from the land telling you about the music. But this Layal Watfe saying, and if you give the text to someone with the notes, with that type of tarab and mawawil, you know, we, we could recreate it with a slight difference right off the bat. Because it's so fluid. The music mm. is so fluid in that part of the world. Mm. Like people don't really stick to the note. We Arabize uh, the sentence, uh, the musical sentence. And I think that's that's one of, I mean, if you can imagine me coming at this from a, a non-Arabic musical tradition, there is a lot of um, sort of, a, you know, like you said, fluidity or a lot of um, openness to individual ornamentation and performance and interpretation that's built into the musical traditions that is very different from the way that we tend to record, you know, traditional or Western scores, right? Which is the composer mm-hmm. writes down the notes and the performer plays them 
and that's it. You know, the performer doesn't say, oh, I want to embellish this. I want to do this. It's, it's very much, you know, you read off the script kind of like that. Methodical. Yeah, it's very methodical. So mm -hmm. part of the challenge of this was reinventing the creative process in making the score and finding a way to reinvent it such that mm -hmm. it brought in the input of all these, these performers. Yeah, the rifts are very personal to the performer. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. And I mean, like, and having, okay, so first of all, hearing Abir do her improvisations is just a stunning, you know, display of vocal uh, mastery, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I don't know that a lot of people can do exactly what she does, you know? So, yeah, I mean, part of the culture is flaunting the skills that you got, right? Um, or flaunt, you know, the performance culture, I think. I may be wrong, but I, that strikes me as how it, it is a little bit. Well, we're here. We're here with Abir. So let's continue a little bit with Abir. When she walked into your uh, studio, I remember like I was supposed to be in LA, but with COVID and all sorts of restriction, I wasn't able to join you in the studio. So I was joining you via Zoom. And she walks into the studio. Within three minutes, she's inside recording. And I was nervous a little bit because she didn't have time to, to like, we, we didn't have time with her to know whether she practiced. We didn't sit down and meet her under the circumstances. Uh, of course, COVID, well, you know, just things were still kind of crazy. Not everyone was vaccinated, even the first dose. Um, she wasn't vaccinated at that point, was she? I think she got the first dose, but not the second. Well, I think in her case, she had actually gotten COVID in Lebanon um, by the time she... Yeah, had, before she flew in. Yeah, right? a long time. Yeah. So yeah. she already had the antibodies, but she hadn't been vaccinated. No. Right. So there were like a lot of these things happening and lots of uncertainties. And we haven't yet heard Abir perform. I haven't heard her perform it yet. We've delivered everything to her. And uh, for, for the music itself, for the lyrics, as you heard... Uh, Christopher sang the music, but the process to get to the lyrics was going back and forth through Al Mutanabbi, mm. some other uh, other poets that we contemplated using. And then one time I said to Chris, again, the pleading. I'm like, we want something that's pleading. Have you looked into the Psalms? Mm -hmm. And we started going psalm by psalm. Like I went yeah. through one, two, and I was like, how about we combine the Psalms? And then you went back with like, how about these, uh, the, this combination. And we looked at Psalm 121. And yeah. this is when I started recording it in Arabic and breaking it down sound by sound and syllable by syllable. Boy, yes, there was. Okay, so anytime you work with text, it creates, it, it like quadruples the complexity of, of the project, right? Um, I mean, I, 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 when I say work with text, I mean beyond just the, the you know the typical video game score thing where the choir sings, you know, like um, Tedeum or you know like Iris Dire in the back or whatever, right? Just generic choir stuff. Um, if you really want to make a song have meaning, um, the selection of the words uh, really, really matters, right? And we spent a lot of time, you and I, trying to figure out what this song was going to be about and what the words were going to be. And, you know, you mentioned Al Mutanabi. We had discussed um, working with uh, Arabic poets 
uh, I, don't, I don't know, I can't remember the term for it, but basically court poets, right? Traveling mm -hmm. poets who in the 9th, 10th, 11th century would go court to court mm -hmm. and dazzle people with, it's almost like their freestyle rapping, right? Like their, mm -hmm. their command of prose and stories and, 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 and um, you know, being able to regale with, with these stories and also to, to, to uh, basically on the spot, write poems that praised the rulers, right? That was a big, important skill that these, these traveling poets had to master. And in a way, that was perfect. That would have been perfect for what Old World was, which is a, you know, a strategy game based around real people uh, you know, and, their, and their lives. But I think the other thing that we found back when we were doing that was that a lot of these poems had a bit of a militaristic character that wasn't quite mm -hmm. right. Right. And we decided, okay, let's move on from that. And you, you sent me, I think it was Psalm 1 or Psalm 2 or something like that. And I, I think that was the first thing you sent me. And I remember responding very positively to it. Mm -hmm. um, because it felt there, we're going in the right direction. It did. Like this, it we're going to find our text in here. Yes. It really Especially felt that like, like old world is about, you know, these civilizations we want to be civilization agnostic. Like we, we don't, we don't want to have one specific civilization that we're representing. We also do not want to have one specific religion we're representing. So it was kind of like this perfect text that we found that kind of encompasses the Abrahamic religions without it being possessive, like, or just in exclusive of any. And it, it felt right. It felt like this is about glorifying the creator and the world and the majesty of the old world. Yeah, it really did feel right. And but not only that, the words of it felt like they would be words that I could plop in front of a singer like Abir and she could pour a lot of emotion into it because she I could imagine her being relating to the words or, you know, investing herself emotionally into the words. Whereas if we plop down some random 10th century poem about praising a leader in front of her, maybe she wouldn't give the same emotional performance, right? Because it's a little more abstract or a little, you know, not, I guess, not personal to her anymore. So, I mean, that's another thing about like finding texts for singers to sing. If the, if the text really means something to the singer, which in this case it did, you're going to get a much better performance than just some random string of words, right? Speaking of a beer, how did uh, how did she get involved with the project? Did so, that story? yeah, um, I think you sent me like uh, I think you sent me originally Layal. What like you sent me a few no, nominees, right? I, I, well, no, I think with a beer, my recollection is that um, you know when we decided we wanted a title song, um, I started thinking about who to work with. And the first thing I did is actually I hopped onto, um, so I'm, I'm signed to Universal Records, right? Universal Music Group. They're a huge multinational conglomerate of record labels. And I hopped onto their website to look at their label in the Middle East to see who they had, because I thought I can get an introduction through the label. Um, and then if we're both Universal artists, the label can get behind the soundtrack release and help promote it. Um, and so Abir was actually the very first artist on their website. And I, I clicked on her link, I read about her, and then I listened to her voice and I thought, holy crap, this is, you know, we're, we're stopping our search right here. This is where we're going, right? And I think I mentioned her to you. 
And you yeah, said, oh, I love her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's the thing. Like he sent me, like, you know, Chris, you sent me uh, an email saying, here are two to three names. I'm thinking of this person, that person, and this person. And I read the Abir Nami. Oh, and yeah. I was like, Abir. I mean, I grew up with her. We we're, we both grew up in choirs. Of course, she grew up, in, you know, in a professional, uh, uh, you know, environment. She was singing since she was seven. Uh, I was singing in a choir because, you know, I was being a good Catholic girl with, you know, my <laughs> <laughs> and I loved music. So, um, so I was like, oh my gosh, yes, Amir, she's amazing. And this is where I started sending you things that are not on, like on, you know, like you yeah. can't find online. I started sending you things where she sang in Aramaic and in Syriac. And I think I sent you things where she goes in range, like all the way. She hits like these very, very high notes. Yes, yeah. Which, and which I, you know, eventually said that we do not want these high notes in old world. Like right. we do not want something operatic. We want to remain within within this range, like an altoish range for mm. old world. But she can perform all the way up to here if she wants. Well, I think all those sort of. Um... I don't want to call them bootleg recordings, but like the recordings you're not going to find on Spotify and, and whatnot were really helpful because what I was going off of was her commercial releases. And, you know, a lot of them are sort of tailored to be, you know, popular hits, right? And she has some big popular hits. Um, and she does all that stuff really, really well. But the stuff that you sent me was, you know, for example, her performing for church services. Mm-hmm. And that really sort of helped uh open my eyes to the the sound world which she could bring to the title song i mean you know the the sort of the dancey stuff that she does you know that's great too but that's yeah. not right for old world but when you you sent me those videos i was yeah. like oh here we go now we're in business yeah and and the videos i sent you i remember it was the um the la semaine sent it was the um the week leading up to Easter, which is supposed to be uh, a holy week uh, for for us in in, uh, in from the Christian religion, where um, it's like Good Friday and all of that. So all of these hymns are actually from Good Friday, where um, there's a lot of lamenting going on, and and Abir was performing in a church live, and someone recorded her. And put that, you know, these links on YouTube. So of course that and of course Christopher is not gonna find them. And I went and dug them up and I kept sending you, I think this whole week I was walking around listening to that to that music, kind of missing home a little bit. Hmm. Um, and these celebrity these these celebrations and uh, and I sent you this music and it, it felt right. It felt so, so good. Yeah, it really yeah. did feel right, didn't it? Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And that I mean Boy, I got to tell you, like, without your help on a lot of this, like, I just would not have been able to find any of that. You know, you have you run across the Google problem for us non-Arabic speakers, right? You just can't, you don't know how to type in the search terms for what it is you're looking for. And, you know. So, so Chris, once once you got Abir's voice, the way the way you wrote the music and like, how, how, how did that change or impact uh, Rafat Wainaya? I think so the 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 overall structure of the piece um, still adheres to kind of the same sort of arc that you would have in in say like a Moel 
um, you know, where you, you start off, you know, in the key center and then it rises up a little and then it rises to the peak. Um, there's that basic sort of unfolding and an unraveling of the, the, the macabre, you know, that takes place gradually. Um, hearing her voice, of course, you know, like it, it made me realize I could leave some things a little more open-ended and let her just kind of do her thing. I think virtuosic singers appreciate having the space to show off what they can do. And so I left room for her to do that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, so, just go on. But I remember her walking in the studio and within three minutes she was inside and she started singing and it felt like, okay, wow. I was, I don't know, I was just flabbergasted. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, right? And um, it's yeah. a shame you couldn't be here in person because it sounds, you know, you were, you were trying to listen over Zoom and that yeah. I was having tech difficulties and it was just, you know, COVID insanity. But yeah. um, I think one of the, the nice things about working with a seasoned vocalist like Avir is you know that she can come into the studio and you don't necessarily have to have everything written out for her, but you know, you just kind of work on the track collaboratively while there and respond in a way to what she does. Mm -hmm. And, and there are certain moments where, okay, so there's that one part where she goes, da da, just holds it out for four bars, yeah, right? Yeah, for like seven hours. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I remember when she did that, and you and I just kind of looked at each other over yeah. the Zoom call. We're like, oh, yeah. we like that, you know? That was amazing. Yeah. And the more she gave us drama, like in her voice, the more we wanted. Like, I remember, yeah. you know, um, I remember at some points, like, do it again, but even with more drama. It just reminds me of more cowbell, you know? This <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> more cowbell. It's the, it's the Middle East. It's the Arabic equivalent of more cowbell. Um, no, I think, you know, what really happened, though? She started off, and we, we, you know, we worked our way through the song from, from beginning to end, and she started off in one sort of performance um, energy level. And then as we got through to it, as the song builds and builds, she really started ratcheting it up. So mm -hmm. that by the time we got to the end, we said, you know what, we need to go back and do the beginning again, because yeah. we are now in this world where the interpretation of this is so much bigger and grandiose. Yeah. And I think it was like about four hours, right? It was we a long, like, long session. Yeah. It was a very long session. It was like four session. hours. And then we asked, we asked her if she's tired and she goes, no, I think my voice just opened. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> you remember like, that? Yeah. And she went in and recorded all sorts of stuff where we yeah. were like ready to kind of like give her a break. She went and recorded all sorts of stuff that I realized later, Chris, you included. And this is where the beauty of, of course, the choir came in and we just kind of created a whole big thing with that. Well, that's the other beauty of, you know, sort of staying flexible up until the very end. Like there were there were things that she did, which made me go back and say, oh, I'm going to re-record this. Or I'm going to rewrite this section to accommodate for this amazing thing that Abir just did. So there was plenty of time for that. And, and you know, it was, it was great to be able to do that in response to what she brings to the table. I think one of the cardinal sins of a lot of composers and, and music producers is they have this idea of what they want in their mind and they step into a, a studio with the singer and, and, and they don't give the singer any freedom to really take it to the next level. Um, but if you allow for the option of rewriting your music based on what a singer does in the studio, you can capture some amazing moments and build around them. And I think that's what we did with I Lift My Eyes. 
So I want to I want to talk a little bit about the Angel City Chorale and their involvement with uh, Old World and the track uh, I Lift My Eyes, which is also known as Rafatwaniya in Arabic. The first time I heard of the Angel City Chorale was uh, through America's Got Talent. Um, and I remember they were singing Baba Yetu by Christopher Tin that won him a Grammy Award. And I must say that is with his work, as I said in the introduction, with uh, with Soren on Civilization Four. I think you won you won two Grammys, one for the for, one for Baba Yetu the single, and one for the album. Am I correct, Chris? Yeah, that's right. And they sang, and the, the introduction was: "We are a diverse group. We are of all colors." We are from all religions. We are from all ethnicities. We are from all ages. And I just like was watching. I had no idea what they were about to do. And they sang Baba Yetu. <laughs> <laughs> and they got the golden golden buzzer. Yeah. The golden ticket. Yeah. Golden buzzer. Yeah. Uh, and I I was I was tearing up. I, I was just like when I watch talent and beauty and, you know, I, I have emotions and they come out and I was like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. So of course, when you said like, and have you heard of the Angel City Chorale? I was like, yes, I've heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> they sing Baba Yetu and they're this diverse chorale and they're amazing. And their leader is fierce and beautiful yeah. and strong and yeah, so I was very, very happy that they joined. So how did that come about? Whoa, okay. So I always knew I wanted a um, group of backing singers for Abir to come in right at the very end of the song. If you look at the song, it's basically one huge crescendo, right? Starts yeah. off very intimate with me just playing piano, gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then six minutes later, we're at this enormous place. Um, and so when you construct a song like that, you, you have to have elements that you introduce late in the song just to shift the gears up one last time, right? And for me, that was bringing in a big choir at the end. And I got to admit, part of my idea for adding a choir underneath Abir's voice came from those videos that you sent me where she was performing services in Lebanon, mm -hmm. where she had backing singers. And I thought that was a great sound. Um, and at first I was asking Abir, you know, hey, do you have a choir that you work with that we can work with? Like, I just, you know, I don't know how we're going to teach this Not to anyone else. I know. I was like, Come, don't you have some singers? And so she was like, you know, Chris, I think that you should um, find a diverse international choir because that's going to create a very nice message, right? Um, and I said, oh, I know just the choir for yeah. this. Diverse um, is the word. Diverse is the word. The Angel City Chorale, I've worked with them for many, many years. I mean, I, I stumbled across them because they performed Baba Yetu in one of their concerts and they invited me and I thought, oh, this is fun. And then over the years, they've, they've sung on a lot of things, um, including my title song to Civilization VI. Um, mm -hmm. They sang on my second album, The Drop That Contained the Sea. I've written several pieces for them. I've gone on tour with them. I mean, we have a, a yeah, fun it's a relationship. Of, yeah, relationship, yeah. a musical collaboration that's, you know, 10 years plus now, I think. So I, I reached out to them. Um, and I actually truly speak, truly, I did not feel comfortable reaching out to them until I had Abira tell me that she thought an international choir would be the right choice to back her up. Because again, this is me not wanting to casually make cultural decisions about any other people's 
you know, music, right? I, I just wanted to make sure things were getting the sign off from people like yourself and Abir. And so when you both chimed in and said, oh yeah, that'd be perfect. I thought this will be great. So I reached out to them and I said, uh, hey, I got like no money for this, but do you want to sing on this track? <laughs> Seriously. The magic words. <laughs> I, know, I have no right? money. I, I can't no pay money. you. <laughs> please, please. You know, I mean, I had a token amount of money left in the budget, but it, it wasn't enough to get 160 singers onto a recording, right? right. Not to mention, where do how you do you pay 160 yeah. singers to sing? Right. And these days, what studio can you put them in during a pandemic? Because the singing in choir, choirs are the one of the biggest super spreader activities that you can have, right? So, Which leads to the next question. Did all 160 of them sing? No, no, we couldn't do that. Um, yeah. The only way we could do it was to bring in a subset of them, about, I think it was, I think 21 singers at the end of the day. But we had to bring them in no more than five or six at a time into my studio mm -hmm. where I set them up at microphones. Each each singer got their own individual microphone spread out you know, in every corner of the room as far as possible away from each other. And we actually had to record them in small batches and then combine it all together later on. And then actually a lot of those singers are the same ones you'll see in the music video that's coming out on Thursday. Yeah. But, uh, we, yeah. we have to tell, we have to tell our, our listeners that there is a video coming out on November 4th, uh, with, uh, Abir singing Chris on the piano and the angel city chorale, uh, for old world. So expect that to happen as well. Yeah, and that's I, I gotta say that was a fun video to put together. Um it was it was one of these crazy things where a lot of people came together and sort of magically made it happen for very, very little money and um just a lot of love, you know. There's a lot of goodwill involved in it. So it was, it was good. I mean the soundtrack really like including you know the you know sixty minutes of Christopher Tin's music, the soundtrack was made with a lot of love. It was. Um yeah. I mean, we started we started the licensed music, putting together the list four years, almost five years now, Chris. And um, it's a lot, a lot of love. I mean, on the side, we worked with uh, three Lebanese composers and a German composer with whom I worked on specific tracks for Old World separately. It was just him and myself. So it was made with a lot of love, a lot of passion, and... Uh, it's just beautiful. And an international community of musicians. And that's one of the things mm -hmm. I really like about it, too. I mean, it's, yeah, there's a lot of Lebanese talent. Um, but likewise, you know, you had a, a German composer doing some, some music. And one of my collaborators is actually, he's Swiss, um, but he mm -hmm. plays a lot of uh, Middle Eastern instruments that you hear on the score. But he's one of my regular guys. Um, another regular collaborator of mine, um, his name is Alex Williamson. He handles a lot of the synth production and, and programming on the score. I mean, he's, you know, originally from the Philippines, actually, um, mm -hmm. but he lives in L.A. now. Uh, How but, beautiful. Yeah, you I, know. Really, it's so nice to yeah. kind of feel like a whole lot of, you know, world came into one old world. It's a, yeah, that's a great way of putting it, actually. Um, and, you know, our, our, our soloists were, you know, from all around. I mean, you know, it's it, like, the, oh, the strings. The string orchestra is actually from Budapest. Um, and uh, gosh, um, 
Yeah, I mean, that's... A that's lot of great of music comes from Budapest. Like, that's true. You know, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, Chris, I, have, I haven't watched Dune yet. Mm, but I, I have it. a feeling, and I don't know why. I have a feeling. So I read the books. So um, I have a feeling that I'm going to walk into the movie theater, and I'm going to keep feeling like Rafato Anaya belongs there. <laughs> ah, <laughs> that would be amazing. Um <laughs> You know, I, I. Well, the, the book, the book has a lot of reference to Arabic. Have oh, you read the it? book? I have not. No. Yeah, read the original book. I, so, I um, mm-hmm. Frank Herbert. Yeah. Yeah. So he talks about like the Islamic, uh, you know, um, influence. I, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything because it's out there now, and I haven't seen it, and I'd like to see what what they've done with all of that. But I keep feeling that I'm going to walk in there and I'm going to have Rafa Dwayneya in my head the whole time. <laughs> it's uh, dunes. I mean, you see it over dunes, right? You see yeah, it over yeah. dunes, over yeah, mountains, over plains, over, you know, water. It's like, it's that kind of tune. It's just beautiful, magical, oh, mystical, you. and old. So without, without any, before we leave, Chris, uh, overall, how is, how is the, the experience for you? It was... Um, an experience of a tremendous personal growth, um, I got to say. It was because I ran the entire arc of um, fear to um, belief again, which in a way is sort of neatly summarized by Rafatu Ainaya. Um, you know, it's, I, I needed to find solace in, in um, what I was doing. I needed to find... Uh, uh, comfort. I needed to be encouraged. I needed. I need something to sort of strengthen my resolve to write this this soundtrack. Um, you know, we when we started this, we were in the midst of a pandemic, and the pandemic hit my family very, very hard. We actually experienced a lot of um, personal tragedy in our our family. And, very sorry. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone went through something, but I wasn't necessarily in a good place when we started this whole thing. Um, and uh, part of being able to claw myself out of the, 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 you know, the insecurity and the fear and all that and finally make something that I was actually proud of has led to a, a bit of a rebirth creatively for me as well, too, in that now I, I sort of, I'm starting to feel like my old self again, you know, mm-hmm. like after all these months of, of just being... It's just so good to hear, Chris. I mean, I remember the pre-soundtrack conversation our conversations where, you know, I'm out of my funk. Yeah. I'm out of my funk. Yeah. You know, early on we were talking about it. And I was like, Layla, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm not in a good place these days. You know, there was a lot of that. Um, and a lot of that was creative. A lot of that was uh, honestly a lot of lack of sleep. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just maybe we want to, we want you, you want to mention that on, on the recording. <laughs> it honestly, it will relate. You will relate to People will re- relate to you. A yeah. lot of people will relate your feelings. I mean, you were saying things I was feeling too. Yeah. When you said that you saw someone and you cried. Yeah. Do you was. know that I, you know, like I felt as like, I felt like as if I'm one human with you. Like if I get a little bit of love or emotion, I yeah. would, I would shatter. You know, um, I, I sort of get that. Yeah. It was sort of like that because after being isolated for so long, um, and you know, trying to raise kids in that environment, oh my God, like it just it just does you in. Um, 
So I remember, Chris, our uh, pre-soundtrack pre, uh, conversation where you, you were not feeling your best. Um, do you want to elaborate a little bit on this? And then we can talk a little bit about post-soundtrack and see if, you know, if that helped and if so, how. Yeah. I mean, when we started this whole process, I was, I was very creatively crippled, I have to say. I mean, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, but there were just, just the pandemic hit us really hard. Um, there was some personal tragedy that we went through, you know, some loss of family. Um, but also trying to raise a kid during the pandemic where suddenly you're isolated and you can't go anywhere. And suddenly you have this screaming two-year-old you know, just demanding attention all the time, it, it just kind of broke our spirits a little bit and broke me creatively a little bit. And I had to claw myself out of this hole. Um, and it, I got to say, it, it didn't help that I was tackling on a project that, you know, in normal times would have been challenging for me anyway to, you know, familiarize myself with a, another culture's musical language. But I, when we started this, I just was not feeling good about myself. And, you know, I, there are parts, there are times when I was just like, I don't know if I can do this, you know? Yeah. But I remember I, a conversation with you where you actually made me cry. Uh, no, you did. We were talking about like the impact of COVID and you told me, I just saw, it was like, I think your birthday. Um, and oh, yeah. surprised you. Oh my God, and it was my you birthday. said the emotion was because it's been so long, you haven't seen anyone and you've seen one human outside your bubble. And you told me you got like a little emotional. And I, 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 I remember <laughs> my tears started falling and I was like, oh, I know. Like if at any point someone I know and I care about walks in and gives me a hug, I'll cry. Like, I you cried, know, yeah, so yeah. much uh, this past year, especially around my birthday. I turned 45 this year. Um, for all you listeners, by the way, Soren and I have birthdays that are two days apart, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I was trying to remember. It's like, it's like I think the remember birthday was almost the same day, but yeah. I couldn't remember exactly when You're the it was. 19th, right? May 19th? 23rd. You're the 23rd. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm two days before you. I'm the 21st. Um, and so we, we both turned 45 recently. And, yep, yep. Um, and they both don't look it. <laughs> I'm going to add a picture just so you'd know. Like, I'm not, I'm not making this up, but they both don't look it. Yeah, well, maybe I feel like it more than ever. I know, right? I certainly have the back of a eighty-year-old by now, right? Um, but oh my god, like I honestly, I was uh, probably one of the most um, depressed periods of my life, um, you know, in a long, long time. Probably in the top three of my lifetime. Um, and, How do you feel now? Well, okay, I feel a lot better because, in a way, for a composer like myself. The depression also comes when you feel like, oh my God, I'm a terrible composer, right? If you lose your confidence in your art, when you build so much of your identity around being able to perform in your art, if you can't for whatever reason, it's terrifying. And, you know, I was just, there was a point when I was just like, I, can't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm just so, it was like traumatized or just insecure or just, you know, I, I felt like I sort of lost my mojo and I couldn't, couldn't, you know, I thought, have, have I aged out of this business? Am I obsolete now? You know, what, 
where am I? Who am I in this business anymore? So oh, wow, you went it, that far. It was really, really bad, I got to say. And it, it's not just because of, you know, like the day-to-day sort of creative frustrations, but it was also like, you know, my last album didn't get the reviews that I thought it was going to get, you know, and, and this happened and then this other thing happened. Oh, by the way, we were in this uh, epidemic of um, Asian hate crimes at the time. Yes, that um, too. And that really shook my world a lot. And so, a lot of fires, a lot, of, a lot fires. of fires in California and yeah. droughts. Yeah. There was, oh God. It was like disaster after disaster. And okay. When is the dragon a... coming in to end the world? <laughs> <laughs> know, right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, the apocalypse really. Yeah. But you know, I gotta say because old world was a challenging score for me to be actually able to come out of the end of it with a product that I am very excited about and I feel really good about. Sometimes you need that victory to get you back on that creative horse, right? And so for me, the old world score and finishing it up and, and just how good it felt to, to deliver it and how proud I am of the music sort of so got me back on track, you know? I'm so, I mean, Chris is a friend, not just someone we work with on music. He's, he's our friend. And I must say that when I was hearing your frustration or your doubts, I always related them to the project. And, you know, it's kind of good because I'm sure a lot of people relate to the frustration and the, the, the world just kind of not giving, you know, the world a break, mm-hmm. <laughs> not giving the world a break. And yes, this, uh, a lot of people can relate to, to the feeling of whether depression or self-doubt or isolation and inability to be creative, especially if you are cooped up with your child uh, we yeah. have three of them yeah i did the last i did the last year of development of, of old world with one twin on one side of me and the other twin on the other you know in their <laughs> yeah. fourth grade fifth grade classes and like it was you know it was just uh <laughs> it was insane. just intense it's like, it's it's like being, being able to focus while like having to check each you know tw- every 50 minutes to make sure they haven't migrated their way to youtube is uh <laughs> It was, it was, you know, it's an experience I've, I've never gone through before. And hopefully I never will. Oh, my God. It, it is worth noting, though, when I heard your frustration, I always related it to the challenge with the Arabic music. I didn't know you were doubting yourself yeah. that far, yeah. Chris. Yeah. We, definitely, we definitely need to give you a huge hug. You should come <laughs> visit. You're a friend. Christopher, before all this, used to visit us once a year when you came to Carnegie and, you know, you performed here at the Kennedy Center. Um, I think you performed on the East Coast. You'd stay with us for a while, and we were lucky yeah. to kind of have you around. Um, so we definitely missed that. Yeah, so I'll I, be over again. Come soon. visit, so we can cook for you and just kind of give you those hugs and make you cry, hopefully, in oh, a good way. That's yeah. good. And we can have a little jam session, you know, and yeah. and I can see your new place. I'm, I'm really looking forward. Definitely, to it. Yeah. and you would be happy to know, like um, now we have like this little band. So uh, Connor's oh. doing the cello. Catherine's doing piano. These are kids. Sebastian is doing the violin. So I'm on the piano as well, and Soren's on the cello. So when you come, it'll be just kind of like this nice group of people. And hopefully Abir is uh, is uh, also visiting. So we'd have our little, you know, thing going on. Oh, that sounds like a bl- I think, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a mismatch in um, 
performance level between what a beer brings to the table and perhaps like what, what the I kids. bring to the table. Oh, shoot. I thought perhaps. what the kids would bring to the table. <laughs> it's going to be lovely, though. It's going to be absolutely, absolutely And we'd meet lovely. your baby. We no. haven't met your baby yet. We're I the... know. She's barely it's met anyone. Yeah. <laughs> I hear she rules the world. In your house. She, she basically rules our world. I mean, and, mm -hmm. you know, she's the reason why I'm still so chronically sleep deprived. But, you know, she's she's wonderful. But what's the name of her band? Pretty uh, Penny? Did you? Uh, yeah, her name is Penny. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we haven't formed. You know, we haven't decided on our little band name yet. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Pretty Penny is a good one. I like that. Pretty Penny is a good yeah, one. Yeah. Someone suggested a cent on a penny. Oh remember. yeah, there was something or like fifty oh. cent and a penny or something yeah. like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What was it? Um, uh, fresh scent, I think. It fresh was. scent, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, with a baby <laughs> in a diaper, fresh scent. Right, right, right. And the, the S is like a dollar sign, right? Dollar sign. It's amazing. I think I think fresh scent wins. So perfect, I don't know, right. fresh scent wins. So yeah. perfect. Leading it. vocalist is Penny. I mean, yeah. really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, you know, going back to your previous point, though, I mean, um, kids are wonderful, but oh my god, during the pandemic, like, it's a very different experience for those with kids and those without. Um, yeah. And, you know, like the insanity of having three kids. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine what yeah. that's like. Everyone, everyone went through their own type of struggle. With yeah. it, you know? I mean, I think we all learned just how bad isolation is. And, you know, we can all relate to how difficult it was with children. But, you know, we also know people who were just completely on their own and they kind of went through their own type of pain, you know, yeah. like, um, you know, I, you know, I, it was tough, but, you know, I know. 10 years from now, probably, you know, when our kids are adults, we'll look back at the pandemic as just like this crazy experience that we all went through. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's bonding, obviously. I mean, it's gonna be a little different for, Penny won't remember this, but I grew up in a shelter during a war, yeah. mm. but, but I mean, it was its own traumatic experience for its own reasons. However, we felt a sense of community, like people weren't going through something alone. Yes, it's war and it's devastating. And I'm not taking that away from myself and other victims of, you know, who live under, you know, war circumstances. But it felt that there's a community. And it is just in just, I don't know, like, I feel like my brain was on a loop every day, and I just couldn't break out of it. Mm. I just couldn't think of things that are new. Everything was happening. It's like Groundhog Day every single day with the same struggles. And I couldn't be creative anymore, but I have to. I have to. We had a game to release. We have a company to run. We have kids to feed. We have kids to make sure that they are connected to the internet, that they're doing their homework. And I don't think we had energy. I think we just were on autopilot while depressed yeah that's a good way to put it yeah we were zombies basically yeah. right yeah no I, I really felt like i was i had to put on the attitude the face the approach every day because a lot of people depended on me and once i opened up a little bit as you we talked about this if anyone gives me a hug i feel like i would shatter yeah yeah Totally get that. Yeah. I did something crazy to get out of, to get that emotion out. I put myself in a drama class for acting because <laughs> I don't like being on stage. That's I have awesome. like this fear so I can get up there and perform and hopefully cry for three hours. And I warned them if I'm performing, not in front of people for the class and I start crying, leave me. 
Let me cry. I need this. Huh? <laughs> I've been building this therapy. up for years. Yes, I'm here for the therapy. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, thank goodness we're, we're steadily getting out of this. You know, yep. there's a light so, at the end of the tunnel. So post, uh, post uh, uh, old world with the new feelings, do you feel like you're your creative self again? I feel, yeah, but different. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm approaching things a little differently now. Um, you know, both on, both on a personal sort of day-to-day scheduling sort of, you know, manner. Like, like all parents, you know, you learn to be a lot more efficient with your available hours. You know, you get things done. You don't dither around and waste time. Um, but also musically, having lived in an Arabic music world for, for a long time, there are things that I, there, there are ways that it's shaped me musically that I'm carrying on to my next projects. Um, because as an artist, you, you evolve, right? And part of the way you evolve is through contact with other ideas. And, you know, we spent eight months working on this and, you know, reforming ideas and learning new skills. And this is kind of, you know, I don't want that to go to waste, right? In a way. And so much of what I do is about sort of a synthesis of ideas from communities and cultures, not my own, and, and sort of incorporating them into my own workflow. And so a lot of the things that, that aren't obviously Arabic, a lot of the features of Arabic music that don't pertain to you know, exotic sounding scales or, or instruments or whatever, there's still musical things that I can incorporate into my own music mm-hmm. moving forward. And so, so do I hear something new you're working on? I, I'm working on my next album right now, actually, which is for um, a British vocal ensemble named Bocha's Eight mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. And this is a, they're, an, they're another universal artist. And you know, we've got this collaboration going. Um, and it has nothing to do with Arabic music, but the way I've been writing their vocal lines has been influenced, I have to say, both on you know the the Macomb musical scale side mm-hmm. of things. There's a little more sort of exoticism in some of the stuff that I'm writing, perhaps. Um, but also just in 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 you know just the the structure of it all and and how I'm letting the the vocal lines interplay with each other. You know, it's it's very much, you know, if you listen to the, the movement one of the um, the Arabic suite, the Tamila, it's it's very much where kind of kind of you know taking the the lessons of how a soloist interacts with the instrumentalist behind uh, him or her, right? Like there, there's a lot of this this uh, dialogue between the soloist and the the talked, which is the the ensemble behind them, right? And these are things that I'm starting to incorporate into my music moving forward. So, is my my next album going to be drastically different? Maybe not drastically different, but there will be an evolution of my sound that's shaped by old world. Sounds uh, sounds cool. Sounds no, like sounds great. Sounds like your career is not quite over yet, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. I still got a tune or two. So we in in probably a year we're gonna start developing the soundtrack of our next project. Mm. And I think I kind of talked to you a little bit about where mm-hmm. it's going to be and what we're going to be doing. And uh, right now we are focusing on putting Old World on Steam. And that's going to be in the spring of 2022. So we're focusing on on those like little logistics 
uh, while we're slow, slowly prototyping the next project. But not, it's just like really shortly afterwards, after prototyping, we start adding to our like potential uh, list uh, soundtrack. That's exciting. Let's hope there's no more no more global pandemics to mess it all up for everyone. I have nothing that I'm planning. Are you planning a global pandemic? <laughs> I, I, I'm certainly avoiding that at all costs. But now at least we have the experience of having gone through one. So if there is another, at least we're a little more savvy about it. All right. So now that we have this beautiful network of people and amazing talent like Abir, as amazing talent as yourself, and a beautiful soundtrack, what is the future? Where are we going to take the soundtrack? Well, um, one, it's funny you should ask that because one of the things that we have lined up actually is a, a virtual performance of Rafatu Ayanea uh, for the United Nations, actually. On December 18th, they will be celebrating Arabic Language Day mm -hmm. and they will have a symposium where one of the pieces of music that they will be opening with is Rafatu Ayanea. Um, and that is beautiful. The... Unfortunately, we're not able to join them for their live concert at Carnegie um, because Carnegie is not allowing singers on stage at the moment because of the super spreader nature of vocalists. But what we are doing is a virtual performance that's going to uh, combine their in-house chamber group um, with Abir's vocals and, and um, you know, some of the other instrumentalists that we have on the soundtrack. So the very first unveiling in a performance setting of this piece will be through the United Nations. That is actually amazing. Like, you know, we, we created this international soundtrack and then what do you know, the United Nations is going to be using Rafato Aneya. So it's really, I don't know, it's humbling and it's beautiful and it's great. It's so kind of exciting, right? It's kind yeah. of cool to find. I mean, that's the thing that I've learned when you when you do these things and you put together a song like this or like, you know, my experience with Baba Yetu is that you never know where it's going to take you, whether it's the United Nations or it's America's Got Talent, you know, it's, yeah. music finds a way to get into the unlikeliest of places. And that's kind of exciting. How quickly did Baba Yetu catch on fire? Baba Yetu caught on fire pretty quickly, but it was it took a long time before things like America's Got Talent, you know, or, you know, it was a question on Jeopardy last year. I don't know if you saw my social media <laughs> post, but Alex Trebek asked, you know, what does Baba Yetu mean? You know, choir staple, Baba Yetu means this in Swahili. Like, I never thought I'd have a be a question on Jeopardy, right? But there yeah. it was, right? So maybe 15 years from now, you know, whoever the next host of Jeopardy will say, you know, I lift my eyes is Arabic for, you know, or it is Arabic for. Which. And the composer is. Yeah, right. Exactly. You I never know. And it'll be so famous that it's, they won't even use yeah. it on Jeopardy, Chris. I don't know. I don't know no. about that. But um, I guess my point that is that. That could be the future. You know, I, you know, one of the things that I think is magical about music, though, is it does travel a lot, you know, in ways that, for example, like a game might not, you know, like there are circles where the music will, will reach people's ears and, you know, they're not gamers and they have no interest mm -hmm. in games, but suddenly they've discovered this song. So that's the marvelous thing about Songs music. Songs from it's, movies. You, yeah, you right? don't have to have watched the movie, but you know the song. Exactly, you know, and there are a lot of ways that music just finds its way out there and, and, and does its thing, which is why I think I'm, I'm glad that we did this, this song. You know, it's, it's, 
it's not, I don't want to call it an ambassador for the game or anything like that, but it is sort of an element of the game that will sort of transcend the gaming industry. Yeah, I mean, you by now know that we are very, very picky about our music. I mean, at the end of the day, Civilization Four is the first game ever to win a Grammy Award. And, you know, every soundtrack that we've had, you know, for Mohawk Games, like Off-World Trading Company, was with a Grammy-winning composer like yourself. Actually, it was yourself. Like yourself. <laughs> <laughs> only, only work only with Grammy winners. Oh, it's a small requirement. <laughs> oh, that's funny. A very tiny requirement. Oh, um, and you know, like you, you know by now how much we care about our music and how married we are to it and how close we are to it and how much we live it and you know the conversations we have about it, even you know with you or here in the house and you know like I veto this song or I veto that song and you know like what is really close to how we feel is the spirit of the game. And yes, I feel like Rafato Anaya is the spirit of old world. Oh, that's that's great to hear. I feel like, um, I, I think there was one of these moments when I think I first played you the demo and you were like, yeah, 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 yes. this works. You know, there's yeah. when you know what works, it works, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, we love you, Chris. Love you both as well. <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, this is Rafato Anaya, I lift my eyes.
never even. You should you should surprise them by playing my version. They're <laughs> 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 like, what? <laughs> like, well, actually, I'm gonna link it. I'm like, gonna I'm gonna say, download it from WhatsApp and put it out there. <laughs> For the Chris version of <laughs> no, actually, it's it's not a bad idea, honestly, because then they can see kind of the progress, right? Like how it well, evolves, you know? Yeah, and you know, like you know, what came into the making of mm-hmm. without like putting a lot out there, but just kind of like yeah. little bits of hints and everything. Yeah. At the end of the day, there is some type of secret to the trade. Like, yeah, you we'll, know. we'll find a yeah. we'll find a place to edit it into the podcast. I yeah. think it's a good idea. It's nice. Yeah. It's, it's like the concept art you see for you know yeah. games before you see the final. Yeah, art. yeah, it's so. kind of and, exciting. Yeah, yeah. Like with with you, the reason why I didn't work work with a Lebanese composer is because they'll always tell me what to think. Like there's a lot of like mansplaining. Oh. And with you, I had the freedom to come in whenever I felt to, let you know what I think without any of us feeling like we're intruding, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. felt comfortable saying, hey, these things I don't know. I knew that I didn't know everything about it. I just kind of organically know it. And I tried to explain it the best way I could by giving references to the closest thing that we could you know, work with. Um, I felt like if I were from someone from the region, they'll kept, keep trying to manipulate m- how I want things to be done and make me kind of gaslight me into what I actually want hmm. by giving me something I didn't really want. Hmm. And I, I didn't want that for myself. Is it a cultural sort of thing? Yeah. it's yeah. a Well, first of all, there aren't a lot of women hmm. who are in a leadership position. Yeah, sure. They always trust a man, even if they're giving their opinion and a woman is giving her professional experience opinion or expertise. So it is very difficult. So I'm very happy to know, like, first, that Tabir is a strong woman who's very assertive. Um, but... You know, like something that this is of this personal nature, I was not going like, to let someone just kind of take over the vision. I wanted someone to see how we see it and take it somewhere else like you did. Mm. So we were very protective of that. I understand completely. Yeah. That's yeah. why, sadly, I couldn't find anyone, even though I could think of a multitude of people who are great composers. But it's sort of like, who's the one that you actually want to work with, right? Like, yeah. I'm kinda, yeah. Um, I mean, I... Yeah, I, I. And or generally, they want to introduce the Arabic music to the international scene. And my point isn't that. Is I want something Arabic, on an international scene. Not all Arab. Like, what you did is great. I didn't want just all of the density of the Arabic sound all together there. Like well, Rafatu Ainaya is just beautiful. The Arabic suite is more Arabic, but yeah. Rafatu Ainaya is could could be heard in in a movie. Yeah, I think that's where that's the sweet spot of what I can bring to a score. You know, mm-hmm. like basically something that is a little bit of both worlds that is, mm-hmm. you know, sort of has mass appeal as well. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. So lovely talking to you. We're going to go feed some kids right yeah. now. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you, you take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.